last January, we were very worried when some areas were at 70 per 100,000, and we were worried when we got to 30 per 100,000. Well, everything is doubled. It's really worrisome that all the schools have opened in the midst of the surge. Welcome to the Rain Insights Podcast on COVID-19. I'm Emily Donahue. In this episode, Rain founder David Lawrence speaks with Dr. Fred Southwick, an infectious disease specialist at the University of Florida College of Medicine, and Dr. Bill Lang about recalcitrant states on vaccines and political leaders who eschew mask mandates, as well as back-to-school tips for the fall. Let's listen to our weekly coronavirus update. Fred and Bill, again, thank you for spending some time with us. Uh, this has been an eventful week. Uh, there's there are the headlines, and then there's the data. And I think, Bill, you have some optimistic news you'd like to share uh, with our audience. And then we'd actually like to get into uh, some specific questions about the reopening of schools, um, the various age groups for the vaccines, and whether or not a third vaccine will be advisable for a wide population of uh, of Americans. So, Bill, maybe you can lead with some of the data that you're looking at and the former FDA commissioner's uh, sure. uh, insights. So, so last weekend, Scott Gottlieb, former commissioner of the Food and Drug Administration, he said that he thinks that, that we are in the last gasp of the COVID pandemic as a major economic issue. He doesn't, he's not saying that we're going to reach herd immunity and it's going to go away and all is sweetness and light. But he believes that, that we're getting to a point where there will be such a degree of immunity that uh, business can, will be able to go about as usual. And then along those same lines, when you, and I think I mentioned this last week also, that if you look around the world at places that have already endured a Delta-driven epidemic, including uh, the United Kingdom, including India, even Bangladesh, um, that this, uh, this, the up, uptick lasts about eight weeks, and then it starts coming down. And in fact, that's exactly what's happened in all three of those, those countries that I've uh, just listed. And so I've been very optimistic that this will end some, somewhere um, around the, or the beginning of the end, somewhere around Labor Day in much of the U.S., where rates will start coming down again. Um, but there's a couple of counterexamples, the biggest one being Israel, where there is no sign of rates coming down. It's on a steady upward trend. The number is not huge on a relative basis, but it's a steady upward trend. And then in the UK, what had been a very steady downward trend has now plateaued. It's not, it's not definitely going back up again, but it's plateaued at a, still a very significant level. You would hope that those would be good models that we could follow, um, that, the, that overseas experience would be positive models, but in fact, it's throwing more concern into it. And so let me, let me stop there for a second. And I think Fred said that he'd seen some modeling um, specifically for Florida that, that kind of addresses the same question. Yeah, th- thanks, Bill. Uh, Florida is a unique, uh, Florida and Texas are unique in that uh, they have governors that have policies that we call COVID-friendly. So masks have actually, there's a mandate that uh, various uh, local governments cannot mandate masks and cannot ask if someone is vaccinated and cannot mandate vaccines. 
So what we're seeing in Florida, the modeling shows that it, it's the number of cases continues to rise. It has not flattened out yet. It's probably going to peak in about another week or two, and then it's going to come down, but it's going to take till probably mid-October before we get down to low, low cases. So I think in Florida, we foresee continued flooding of the hospital systems, which now are overwhelmed. And the other major concern is our children. And I think we're going to talk a little about this, but uh, there, DeSantis feels that parents should have the freedom to have their kids come to school without masks and the freedom to allow their children to infect other children. I strongly oppose that, but that is the policy that he has established in Florida right now. And that's why I think the curve in Florida is going to be steeper, stay up for a more prolonged time, and be slower to come down. And I think it's going to hurt our tourism. I think it's going to hurt our businesses. And most important, it's going to hurt our the individual, uh, harm the health and welfare of our children as well as adults. So we work with a number of um, companies in the Southeast, including in Florida, and we are increasingly running into companies, especially with um, uh, hourly employees, where they're finding that the hourly employees especially are not getting vaccinated, and they're reaching the point where they're saying, you know, I, I hate to put it this way, but kind of all the hell with it. You know, we t we're telling people to get vaccinated, and if they're not going to get vaccinated, we're not going to play mom. They can they're they can come and go to work, and we'll tell them that we'll tell them that if they've got kids at home, they really ought to be thinking about their kids at home. But we're not going to shut down job sites because people are refusing to get vaccinated. Um, we're seeing we're seeing a lot more of that attitude beginning. Um, so we'll see what we'll see what happens with that. But one thing that is interesting is when you look at the five states that have the highest rates of COVID today, those states are Florida, Louisiana. And this is not in order. Florida, Louisiana, Alabama, Arkansas, and Mississippi. Um, those are also, with the exception of Florida, those are also low vaccination states. When you look at their epidemic curves, all of them except Mississippi are looking like they may be at the flexion point. They're not peaked yet, but they're not on the same upward trend. So they may be coming coming near peaking, which would go right along with the, what the model that Fred had. The one state that is not, the one state that still has the, the steady upward trend is Mississippi. And Mississippi has, by five percentage points, the compared to the second lowest state in the country, they have the lowest vaccination rate in the nation by five whole percentage points compared to number 49. That's very significant. So, Bill, I'm glad you put the qualifier around Commissioner Gottlieb's comments that he was making, uh, he was sharing a perspective based upon the economic impact as opposed to uh, looking at the data on infections. And I want to ask you guys, uh, because Texas is also a critical state where a lot of the new cases are coming from, uh, but the political debates are continuing. Vaccination rates seem to be going up. Uh, some of the press have focused on people who are coming across the border and the states that they're going to and the fact that they uh, have not been vaccinated. And 
you're looking at the data coming out of Israel and I think also England. And how do you begin to square this in terms of a calculation uh, about protecting our children and particularly as they go back to school? And what what specifically are you advising? And do you have any different advice about businesses that are opening up? So my advice to businesses as they've been opening up is, look, we're right in the middle of a significant upward trend. Many of us think that this upward trend will be will at least start to moderate, if not start to come down over the next few weeks. I don't think it makes sense to to do significant reopenings in the midst of an of this upward trend. It just the the optics of that both with your people and your all, all of your stakeholders just don't work very well. But that doesn't mean that the, there isn't a uh fairly fairly near-term future where things can start opening again. So that's what I've been telling people. All right, but the upward trend, I just want to qualify that bill because I've heard you say it's really you know a very geographic specific analysis. So an upward trend may exist in one state, but may not exist in another state. It may exist in one city, but not in another city within the same state. Am I? Is that still your analysis? It, it is. And that's where I've said all along that you can't look at this as a pandemic, but you've got to look at it as a series of regionally linked epidemics. However, right now, with with very few exceptions, the entire nation, the entire United States, is moving up fairly significantly. Um, so I, I so I don't qualify it right now, but I it, it is it does need to be qualified as we move forward. With, with regards to oh sorry, uh, with okay with regards to what level should you uh, open? I think you really do have to look at your local area. And if you're over uh, 15 per 100,000 per day or higher, uh, then, the, then that's a high transmission rate. If you get above 25 per 100,000, it's completely out of control. Now, uh, for instance, Florida, which I follow very closely, uh, in Northeast Florida, the average actually in Florida is 99 per 100,000. And in Jack, Duval County, which is uh, 75 miles from us, um, it's up at 120 per 100,000. And in uh, Alachua County, where I am, it's 75 per 100,000. And the surrounding counties, which is what really is worrisome, it's all at about 110 to 120 per 100,000. So uh, in our area, I, it does not make sense that everything is opening up. And, and really worrisome that all the schools have opened in the midst of the surge. I think that was that what should have been done, as Bill said, just pause for two weeks, let it calm down, let the numbers drop uh, to, you know, at least a controllable level and not at this uh, um, very, very high. For instance, in uh, last January, we, we were very worried when the whole, uh, some areas were at 70 per 100,000, and we were worried when we got to 30 per 100,000. Well, everything is doubled from that situation, and we were afraid to have people, uh, businesses open at that time, yet somehow we're not now, and, and that doesn't make sense. 
So, so I'm not advocating that we go back to closing down businesses, but I'm just saying that that the optics of of opening, when not a single the 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 threshold that the the CDC gave us was actually 7.14. It was 50 cases per hundred thousand per week, 7.14 cases per day. That was a threshold that they gave us for we should start thinking about masking because transmission is substantial. The lowest state level average in the whole country is New Hampshire at 12, and it goes up from there. So it's almost double the threshold level that CDC gave us for being concerned. And and there's not a single state that's at that level. Yes, there are some communities, but not a single statewide average. Yeah, I think you what you need to do is mask uh, in, in those workplaces is at a minimum in social distancing and perhaps have part of of the workforce come in each day to keep uh, the their significant space and make sure your buildings are well ventilated. I think those are all key things that you should do. Uh, if you're thinking about opening and you could wait a week or two, that would be a better, that would be the best. But you, sometimes you can't. But I think with these uh, different forms of, of protection, and remember, uh, 50% at least, most situations, at least 50% of your employees will be vaccinated, which is very helpful. Okay, schools are reopening in the South uh, within uh, approximately two weeks nationwide. How are you thinking about this? What is the best advice you would give, not only to the schools, but to the parents? Well, we're addressing this issue right now in Florida because our schools opened this, this last Monday. And uh, the governor has mandated that schools not mandate masks. But if you look at the way the infection is spread by droplets, it makes absolute sense that particularly those under 12 that cannot be vaccinated, the only way to protect them is for all the children to wear masks. And if they do, um, each will be the uh, reduction in aerosol from an individual is estimated to be about 80% reduction. And so you reduce infection by 80%. And if the other person is wearing a mask too, and that also has an 80% uh, prevention of, of aerosol reaching them, then uh, you've got uh, 94 to 96% protection against getting an infection. Why wouldn't you want that protection for your children? Now, the issue is, oh, it's uncomfortable wearing a mask. And I've heard people say, oh, the children will suffocate. Well, I, I as, as a physician working in the hospital these last two weeks, I have worn the most difficult mask to breathe through, the N95, for 12 hours per day. And it's slightly uncomfortable, but I've been fine. In fact, after an, about five minutes, you forget you have it on. So they can go about their business they can uh, interact with each other and feel safe and be protected if they're allowed to uh, wear masks uh, in the school. The other big issue that people are always asking about, about the kids and schools and how to think about this is the vaccination issue. Clearly kids 12 and up. So essentially we're saying middle school and high school, they are eligible for vaccination. Um, the safety rate has been excellent. 
The protection rate has been excellent. Um, you know, there's there is the, this the biggest concern being the the myocarditis, but that has not there. While there have been cases of myocarditis, there have been been very, very few cases of significant myocarditis. Myocarditis usually passes in a few days with very with outpatient treatment. So that's all important. But then what about vaccinations for the younger kids? The the problem right now is they the uh, drug companies have had a hard time recruiting for the younger kids. They are still actively recruiting for the studies. The problem with that is that they cannot begin to do their final analysis until they finish recruiting for the studies because they know how many they have to have to do their analysis. And typically, once they stop recruiting, then they need two months of data because that's what we've talked about this in the past. You always need to look at vaccines for two months to look for untoward side effects. So they haven't they haven't stopped recruiting. So let's say they stop recruiting even just for ease and figuring by the 1st of September. So two months to, to, to watch how it goes and then to analyze data. We're still then at that point, all the way through September, all the way through October, into, th- into Thanksgiving, really. So we're looking at the earliest for a reasonable application time frame is Thanksgiving-ish time frame. And then what we saw with the 12 and over group was that it took the CDC and FDA about a month from the completion of the data and the submission of the application to come up with the approval and the recommended utilization. So when you put all that together, along with the FDA's timeframes that they are seeing a late autumn, early winter uh, availability of vaccine for younger children. We're looking somewhere around the new year. Is So the second semester is when elementary school and preschool kids would even be eligible. And then we have the same fights about, okay, are parents going to actually get these immunizations for their kids? So that is not going to be coming to the rescue anytime in the near future. All right. I just want to extend the podcast just a little bit longer. Uh, to talk about the prospects of a third vaccine, what you're seeing and what you're advising and what do you think will be ultimately approved, if anything at all? So yesterday, or today, uh, the Food and Drug Administration, they did their part of the approval for a vaccine, but only for those who are relatively immunocompromised. And they have a specific definition on that in there. Um, the CDC, the uh, Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, has not yet published how to do it. And that usually takes takes a few days. Um, once that's done, then the authority for providers to administer a third vaccination will be there. But only for that limited group, people who have a specified uh, reason that they are considered to be uh, relatively uh, immunocompromised. The next step will be, well, does that, should that include the, you know, older populations as in Israel, where they are giving a third dose to anyone over age 50, which I don't consider an old population. That's a young adult, by the way, in my book. Um, but anyone, they're saying anyone over 50. Well, so th- thanks for being politically correct. Bill. <laughs> the audience appreciates that. Okay. Yeah, as far as uh, a booster, I, I think, um, it certainly for those over 65, um, after about eight, nine months, I think a booster does make sense and absolutely makes sense among immunocompromised. And I've heard actually, uh, 
Dr. Fauci said that they were strongly considering those over 65 for the vaccine and perhaps even over 50. And I, I think that that makes good sense seeing how the antibodies uh, have decayed over time. And particularly when we're uh, uh, suffering with this very uh, uh, contagious uh, Delta variant. So I think uh, higher levels of immunity you have, the better you will be protected against that particular variant. And I'll just want to uh, throw a uh, jump ball out to both of you. And uh, this is not in the data, but certainly uh, within plain sight, which is if you are watching some of the competitive sports here in America, and you're seeing not just the uh, athletes, but you're seeing the football stands fill up, the baseball stadiums fill up. Uh, if you're seeing some of the concert venues, there had been a concert that was a sellout here in New York with Lady Gaga and Tony Bennett. The Eagles are coming to Madison Square Garden for two nights. I can't help but feel that there's a game of whack-a-mole here, that Um, A lot of focus on controlling safety within the business arena, uh, within the schools. And then there's what's going on in real life. I can tell you the streets of New York, most people are maskless. The parks are inundated. The bars are full once again. And so is this just really a matter of letting this thing hit an inflection point or... Do you think that actually we're making progress here? And I was on the phone earlier today with a law enforcement official. Uh, Universities will reopen. They want proof of vaccinations. And there is now a very active market uh, on the Internet and elsewhere in selling uh, false vaccination documents and documents that look pretty authentic and, you know, pretty official. And so your thoughts, whether, you know, whether we really are politically, philosophically, and as a pragmatic um, matter, uh, whether you feel we're gaining in a consensus here in terms of controlling and managing this virus. I'm, I'm always the optimist. I do. I think that we're moving from an era where there's this, where the, the huge hospitalization of of people who do not have a means of protecting themselves to an era where, yeah, well, unfortunately, we're still having a large number of hospitalizations, but in many cases, it is people who who do have a means of protecting themselves. The one thing that concerns me, though, that kind of in that same light, is that immunocompromised people make up about 3% of the population and 44% of the hospitalizations. So if we can take that off the table by getting them a third dose of immunization, then I feel much better about letting people make their own decisions. Uh, If you add into that immunocompromised, the older, old uh, group, you know, maybe up to 10% of the population, that, that if you add that, that's over 70% of the hospitalizations, If you add, including in the 44% of immunocompromised. If we can get all those people a third dose and the third dose does work as billed, you know, then I, 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 maybe I'm a, I'm, I'm a little cynical, but I feel like, you know, people have had their chance to get immunized and if they're still going to get sick, then that's kind of their business. I come from this and from the standpoint of 
actually, you know, seeing these patients in the hospital. And I'd prefer not to have them infected uh, if we can possibly do it. And I really like the approach that New York and San Francisco and in France, and that is uh, you can go indoors to a restaurant, you can go to a concert, you can go to a public space if you're vaccinated. And if you're not, you can't. And that, I think, would, you know, with behavior comes consequences. And I think that will encourage more and more people to get vaccinated because they will have greater freedom to attend events and go places if they are vaccinated. If we just look the other way and say, oh, well, they're not going to get vaccinated, we'll let them come in and, and uh, spread the virus uh, wherever they go. I, I personally think that's a mistake and, and will lead to continued hospitalizations, which I can speak from for the nurses and physicians in my hospital. Please, let's not do that, continue this, this approach. So Fred and Bill, I, I, what I'm hearing you say, and it was a bit of a rhetorical question, it, it really is about the vaccine. It is. And don't get me wrong, Fred. I'm not saying that I think they'll just let it rip because I, I'm saying that if we can take that 70, 70 plus percent of hospitalizations off the table that are due to people who are relatively irresponsible about not getting vaccinated, who are infecting the people who are immunocompromised or relatively immunocompromised by age. If we take that off the table and the, really the only hospitalizations are people who are choosing not to be vaccinated, I have, I have less... I don't know, I have less compassion for people who are choosing to take that route when they are not affecting those who don't have a choice. Right now, we're still affecting those who don't have a choice. And that's that hurts. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you on that overall. But when you see these people that, that just didn't know any better, uh, when they're short of breath, you feel sorry for them. I I, I can't blame them. I, I don't know what their social network is like. I don't know what they've been reading. And so I, I still feel really, you know, uh, it's a little bit like as a, a, a parent and your child wants to play with uh, fire and gasoline. Well, I'm not going to let them. And that's what a mandate does. And that's what a structure does that says, if you do this, then you can't do this. And that way, I think we'll reduce the hospitalizations. That, that's the main thing. I don't want to see anybody hospitalized. And one, one problem, we're seeing, we had a 30-year-old die yesterday, and we are seeing young people dying uh, with the Delta variant. It seems to be, um, our, our feeling is, it is more virulent, and it is killing young people. And so it's not just a matter of getting sick, it's a matter of dying. And should someone die just because they get disinformation and are a little bit stubborn? Now, Fred, you're sounding more like a family physician than me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you both uh, very much. I look forward to the conversation uh, next week. And once again, I appreciate the public service and all the time that you devote to looking at the data. Stay safe, guys. Thank you, David. Take care, David. Dr. Bill Lang is an expert in public health responses to biological incidents, including pandemics. Dr. Fred Southwick is an infectious disease specialist at the University of Florida College of Medicine. 
Individuals and organizations turn to Rain for risk intelligence that cuts through the hype to focus on what they need to know, what to expect, and what to do. Sign up for our coronavirus solution to get critical information on the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic delivered daily. Visit us at rainnetwork.com. That's R-A-N-E network.com. I'm Emily Donahue. Thanks for listening.